from the Garden State Parkway. This is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, July 9th, 2019. And in his weekly spot, we welcome Danny Flecka. Hello, sir. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm good. Welcome to Bluetooth Podcasting, the second one in a little under a year that we've done via car Bluetooth because of, or sorry, third one. The, the other one was the Kyle DeManincourt one, Mom, that uh, Bennett Gewertz showed up on. So, uh, last time we did this, Danny, somebody uh, just showed up at our car while parked in a parking lot and chimed in. So, if you get stopped at a light, anybody like gives you the finger or anything, just let me know and we'll include them in the podcast. <laughs> I'll see. Hopefully, I don't have to have too much stoppage on my way home, so. All right. Uh, yes, yes, likewise. All right. Tonight's the MLB All-Star Game. Do you care about any All-Star Game anymore? I'll be honest, I really don't. I, I don't understand what the, the process is of, of having these games. It seems a little outdated. Uh, it was interesting you bring this up, but I was listening to the radio the other day, and um, one of the... Come in. I was like, the all-star games in any sport are um, fairly outdated, and one of the reasons why they were implemented in the first place was due to uh, the lack of exposure that, as a fan, you had to teams outside of your market. Right. Um, you know, take for baseball, for instance. You know, the AL and NL never really played against each other. Um, you know, until what, like '98 or so, when they implemented interleague. Yeah. Now it's yep. um, a lot. You know, now I think interleague. It's part, you know, 20 to 25 games of a team schedule. Um, so, you know, you, you're getting to see some of those players on a yearly basis. Uh, throw into it, you know, the technology advances we've had between Twitter, Instagram, you know, direct TV packages, you know, MLB packages, whatever it is, whatever sport it may be. Um, your exposure to these players and to these teams is at a much higher level than it was, say, back in the 60s and 70s uh, when you as a fan didn't have that. So, I think it's an antiquated system. Um, another interesting comment, uh, a, a sports radio guy up here made was like, if you're going to have these all-star games, maybe that's a good opportunity for you to implement the new rules that you're quote-unquote trying to see what fits to the game. So, you know, if Major League Baseball, you know, the NFL, NBA, whatever it might be, was looking to tinker with the game a little bit with certain uh, types of rule changes, maybe the All-Star Games would be a good venue for that. That way you as a fan would be able to see it up close and personal before it's implemented and then, you know, obviously you have the backlash that you potentially have if rules don't necessarily go the way you thought they might go. If I tell you that Fox is going to have many people mic tonight and they'll be able to talk not only to Joe Buck and John Smoltz but also to each other, does that give you any more interest in watching? No, not really, because it's still just going to be uh, something that's just fodder, you know, in there. It's just something to fill in the time. I don't. I think they did that last year, the year before too. I, I remember uh, somebody was mic'd up. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Mookie Betts, I think. There was um, the famous Bryce Harper moment when he asked Joe Buck, "What do you think about the Cowboys this season, and how do you think Zeke will be?" And then, uh, uh, sorry, how do you think Dak will be in year two? And Joe Buck was thrown off because nobody had asked him a question about the Cowboys in months. And it took him a second to kind of remember who Dak was. Yeah, so it's not anything new that we're doing as far as, as 
You know, what's interesting about something like the Pro Bowl and look at the violence and, 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 and football, hockey has kind of found this niche with this three-on-three tournament-type format. Adam Silver has talked about the NBA getting rid of the All-Star game and creating an in-season tournament of, of some kind. Is With the Pro Bowl, there are contracts that, that get bonuses that's written into the contract to be named to an all-star team, to be named to the Pro Bowl. And one of the problems is if you abolish the game, if everybody realizes or agrees that the game um, is meaningless or is useless or has no purpose, um, then what do you do when it comes to these contracts? Do you still name an all-star team do you still name a Pro Bowl team, even if the game never exists, so that players can be given the bonuses or whatever that's written into their contracts? Yeah, I still think that you're able to do that um, without necessarily having to win the game. You can still have, you know, all pro teams or all star teams at the end of the year that are announced uh, or midseason, whatever it may be. Uh, just because you are named at all doesn't mean necessarily you have to play in a game. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's something I don't think will go away for a number of different reasons. Uh, you know, a lot of money tied into this. Uh, the players, I, I do think in a, in a game like baseball and uh, hockey and basketball, do deserve to have you know time off during their long season uh, where they can like refresh themselves a little bit and get ready for the second half. So you know, I, I think that part of the All Star break is, is important. Everything else that comes with it, I don't know if we still need, but I don't see it going away. Yeah, talking to Danny Flecker here on his weekly spot on teeing it up. All right. Um, I have a question. Okay, uh, uh, go ahead, Mom. When you have other kinds of novelties like the Yankees and the Mets playing in London, for example. You mean the uh, Red Sox? I'm sorry, Red Oh, gosh. No, it's okay. I knew that. Sorry. Okay, yeah, Yankees and Red Sox. Does that generate a lot of audience and a lot of interest? It got a good reception. Um I mean, we talked about this a bit last week, but I think the issue there is, you know, how does how do, how do teams respond coming back? Because over there, yes, it was funky because of the dimensions and stuff, but people were excited, people enjoyed it, and I think the Yankees played okay going into the break coming out of it, Danny. Yeah, I don't think there was a big issue with, like, the travel involved. You know, London is a... Relatively easy flight, you know, from New York and from Boston. Um, I just think the one thing that you get when you go to those markets out overseas is what's the interest of the fans over there? You know, what type of fans are you going to get? Does that increase, you know, packages that are bought, et cetera, for, you know, watching these games? And I think when we talk about it, one issue baseball has is the timing of their games. You know, at 7 o'clock, start time is 1 o'clock a.m time in London, so you're not really necessarily getting the audience year-round out there, uh, but like for, for football, you have that opportunity where you can, you know, you have 1 o'clock kickoff times on Sundays, and you can get a, a larger audience overseas, so uh, I think baseball got what they wanted out of the London trip, uh, and the Yankees and Red Sox came back and seemed to be okay, and obviously now they have another week off, you know, to, to 
recharge. So I think the timing of when they went was actually kind of perfect. When you look at the Yankees six and a half up at the break with all the injuries, if I didn't tell you the standings, but I just listed the injuries, would you have ever thought that the Yankees would be six and a half up in the East? And by the way, is Jacoby Ellsbury ever going to play in a game of any kind ever again? Uh, so to answer your, your second question first, uh, I don't, I forgot he even like was on the team. Uh, yes, most people so have. That. Yes. Uh, but I think the Yankees have done a tremendous job this first half of the season. They got off to a really slow start. Uh, the injuries started to pile up. We didn't know where they were going to be going uh, this year. Would it be a rebuild or would they just be, you know, fighting for a playoff spot? So. Uh, the performance that they've gotten from people we've mentioned numerous times has just been absolutely amazing. And how they continue to do this year after year um, really amazes me. It's such a, a big market team with money to spend. You don't really expect these uh, fringe guys to be the ones that are, are carrying your team. Um, but the Yankees have kind of built that culture, uh, you know, going back to the Girardi years and even now, uh, of finding and scouting and developing their players to fit into the system that they have and to get the most out of them. So it's been uh, a nice change for them, you know, rather than just signing every single big free agent that comes out on the market, to be able to, to have a pipeline of players that you know that if somebody goes down, yeah, you're not going to maybe get the, the 40 home runs you get from a Giancarlo Stanton, but you're going to get enough production from that person, both on the field, you know, I mean, in the batting box and on the field to be able to win games. So it's been really nice to see them uh, going that way and, and being able to, to have that we've been able to have this year. We'll get back to baseball in a minute. Um, I want to move to soccer for a second. Megan Rapino gives the U.S. the lead in the World Cup final on a penalty kick. You have played soccer your whole life. You've watched soccer, soccer your whole life. When you have a penalty kick like that, you've got a couple choices. You can try to go high, but the risk going high, obviously, is that you overshoot it. Um, you can try to duke somebody, or you can just play it straight, pick a corner, and try to go right at it. It, it, it seems to me that the offense, so in this per, in this case the person taking the penalty kick, has the advantage over the goalie. In your experience, both as a player and as a watcher, who actually has the advantage on a penalty kick? I'd say it's 50-50, right? Because as a shooter... You mentioned you have all these different ways you can go, uh, but the, the main point that you have to have to remember is that you got to get in the back of the net. So whatever option you, you get, you have to be confident enough that you're going to put it in the back of the net. The, the, the pressure, I think, is always going to be on the shooter rather than the keeper. The keeper is in a, in a, in a win-win situation, right? You know, he didn't force the penalty, so it's not his fault. And two, if he saves it, he's a hero. As the kicker, you have the pressure on you to convert what should be a 95% conversion rate, and if you're missing it, you can it, it can swing the entire game, or if you're in a shootout, it can swing the entire shootout. So I've always felt that as I'm more nervous when when I'm watching when my team has a penalty shot rather than when um, my team is, has conceded one. So. It's more nerve-wracking for me, I think, if I'm the shooter than if I'm the goalie. Um, what's interesting about this, obviously, is we've seen multiple tournaments, leagues, games, friendlies, whatever, 
end up in penalty shootouts after extra time. Have you found that as a shooter you have more success on a penalty that comes during the course of regular play or on one that happens uh, in bonus time? Because obviously you've got the weight of the world and you know if it's the World Cup, you've got the weight of a country on your shoulders when you have PKs at the end. But then again, take the U.S. situation with Megan Rapino. That was going to be a one nothing, 2 nothing, 2-1 type game. And that was the goal that gave the U.S. the lead. Uh, that's almost as big as, you know, a penalty shootout in extra time. Yeah, I think at any situation when you have a, a penalty kick, it's, um, it's important that it's converted or vice versa safe. You know, you need to have that opportunity to put the ball in the back of the net. And usually in games that are a little bit tighter or play closer to the vest, which are usually knockout games, those goals weigh are weighted more. You know, you don't have the opportunities probably aren't going to come around as often to score. You want to be able to, you know, carry out the tactics and strategies that you've had for that game and obviously having a lead allows you to do that. So I think that as a shooter, anytime your name is called upon to take that kick, you have to have the mindset that you have to convert it and you have to give your team that opportunity to, to win the game. So it, it all depends. You know, you obviously, if you're a, a team that's conceded a penalty kick, you'd rather come earlier in the game. That way you have more time to, to come back and have the opportunity to tie it up or take the lead. But I think in regular in regular time or... So I think any time you have the opportunity to, to step up and, and give your team the lead, you, you as a shooter have to be able to to convert so at any point in time when those opportunities come up uh, you know they're valuable opportunities so um, you know it, it really just depends on how your team is and how how it's happened and when it happens but if you obviously get it earlier in the game you have an opportunity as a team that's conceded to, to come back and, and do what you need to do so I think for the U.S. in that game against the Netherlands it came at the perfect time they were definitely in control of the game. The goalie was standing on their head, making some great saves, and they needed a break. They needed to see the ball go in the back of the net to, I think, fully realize that the game was theirs to have. And it came at the right time for them. I think it was like what, the 56th minute when she converted it. So, and then after that, the Netherlands were chasing the game, and they had no shot. Yep, and then Rose Lavelle said, oh, I'm going to put this one on ice. And uh, thanks to VAR and thanks to... Uh, a correct offside call in my opinion and, and thanks to Rose Lavelle uh, the U.S. wins their second straight World Cup of the three soccer tournaments and you were in, in transit on Sunday so I'm not sure how much of all this you were able to watch but of the three soccer tournaments that happened on Sunday did it, what if anything else stood out to you? Nothing really I think you know from the, the Women's World Cup um, it was a, a great tournament. I think that the women's game is slowly but surely being leveled out. Uh, we saw a lot of performances from teams and nations that are starting to develop their own system and starting to be able to have uh, an opportunity, I think, in the future to challenge the U.S. Uh, for that opportunity to win the World Cup. I think the next Women's World Cup is going to be probably the most even one that we have uh, ever seen. Even though this one was pretty even and competitive, I think 
a lot of countries have shown that they're investing in youth, I mean, not youth, into women's soccer. A lot of these European nations are developing, you know, women's domestic leagues and, and tying them to the men's teams that they have. Uh, so, for example, like Manchester United or Manchester City, um, Juventus, etc., are starting to develop women's teams that are tied directly to their men's teams, which then, you know, gives them the opportunity to have the, the training uh, equipment, the training grounds. Uh, financial resources to be competitive, so I think a lot of that is going to catch up to the U.S. in that sense and allow for a more competitive playing field. In South America, you know, their their tournament was mired in the controversy and quote-unquote corruption. You know, Lionel Messi had uh, some pretty strong words after their loss to Brazil about what it is that he thought was going on. Uh, it's kind of part for the course, I think, for South American football, unfortunately, you know. Um, they have had these issues in the past, um, and they don't seem to be going away. And then as far as like the U.S. men's team um, in the Gold Cup final against Mexico, uh, it was a, I thought, a good tournament for them. You know, they're a young team. They're starting to develop what it is that they want to do. But the result is shocking. Mexico is a much better team, and the U.S. still has a long way to go on the men's side to be able to compete against these, these better teams on a, on a game-in and game-out basis. So. We'll see if the development of their youth uh, players that are now on the senior team can compete when the next World Cup comes around, if they're able to qualify for it. And Josie Altidore didn't help matters by um, missing a what could have been very simple kick uh, to put the U.S. up 1-0 early on and really put the pressure on Mexico. Yeah, and, and like in any sport that you see, you know, whether it's football or soccer, basketball, baseball, whatever it is, when you're a team that doesn't have as much talent or isn't as strong, when those opportunities come knocking, you have to convert it. It changes the dynamic of the game completely. Um, and unfortunately for the U.S., they were, they were unable to, to grab those opportunities and allow Mexico to stay in the game. And um, but they eventually were able to cash in on a chance and put it away. When you saw that Kawhi Leonard was going to the Clippers and that Paul George was coming with him, what went through your head? Um, so I was actually still up when I saw the news. Uh, it was broke at, what, 2 a.m. on Saturday? Yeah. Um, whatever it was, I was still up uh, after a night out. And I saw that I was shocked. Um, we knew Kawhi was considering the Clippers uh, as one of his possible destinations. We obviously did not know that Paul George was part of that process. So the Clippers being able to get him, I think, is a, a, a great great prize for them and you get Paul George there who a year ago could have gone to an LA team and, and chose not yeah. to so I think the balance of the NBA has definitely leveled out in, in a sense uh, but the Clippers I think have done a good job of capitalizing on what they think is their window here uh, you got Paul George for four more years you have Kawhi for five for five years uh, you have a decent enough roster around them a team that overachieved last year with some pieces are still there, and you have a, a veteran coach that knows how to handle these types of personalities and these types of teams as you did in Boston. So I think the Clippers did a great job on, on doing what they had to do. They gave up a King's Ransom to do so. Uh, they, they have a five-year window, though, here with these players uh, with the opportunity to uh, win a championship, and you know, I think the main thing that they were able to do is they kept Paul George and Kawhi away from uh, the Lakers, which have been their main competitor in the West this year. And 
They gave up five first-round draft picks. And you better come through with a championship if you give up five first-round draft picks. This is a heck of a burden to to be playing under, but that's the burden they chose by giving up five first-round draft picks. Yeah, and I think if you're Oklahoma City, after seeing those moves that were made uh, across the NBA, uh, they didn't really make any moves, I don't think, in free agency. Um, you know, you haven't been able to win with Westbrook and George the last two years. You haven't been able to win with Westbrook and Durant. Um, I think they got rid of the wrong guy. If you ask me, I think Westbrook might be more of the problem than, uh, than Paul George was. But if you're Stan Presti at Oklahoma City, you have a, your top player come to you and ask for a trade, and you're being given five first-round draft picks for it with the opportunity to rebuild your team, you, you have to make that deal. So uh, Oklahoma City is going to be tanking for a while. They're going to probably get rid of Westbrook in the next yeah. week or so, yeah. and they're going to be stockpiled with young assets and, and lots of draft picks. Alright, you live up in Boston. Maybe you'll understand this. That um, I was going to say Super Bowl winning. Um, NBA Finals winning team had a reunion uh, with everybody except Ray Allen. What is this hatred for Ray Allen in Boston? Do you have any idea what's going on? Well, a lot of it has to do with him going to Miami after uh so that's a big piece of it. I think he had a, a falling out with a lot of the players on the team. It's actually been a recurring thing uh, up here. Um, unfortunately, they're un- unable to bury the hatchet with that. So I, I think a lot of it has to do with him going to Miami and, and spurning them. Um, because I think a lot of them felt that by him going to Miami was one of the big reasons why the trade that happened with Boston and Doc Rivers leaving happened. It's crazy. It is... Uh... One of the weird things that's happened in basketball lately. We're talking to Danny Flecka in his weekly spot. Your next appearance on this show will be in two weeks for a special show. We won't say anything about that. Your next appearance to talk actual sports will be in the month of August. Believe it or not. Uh, at that point, the NFL, uh, sorry, NBA, tra- uh, MLB. I, I got three sports there wrong, Mom. Uh, the MLB trade deadline will have already passed. Uh, see into your crystal ball. Uh, I would have to think that the Red Sox have to acquire a bullpen arm. I mean, we've only been talking about this for two years. And I would have to think the Yankees, maybe you're going to get a starter, another arm in the pen. I, I can't see them adding another positional player unless there's an injury. Because I think they're pretty well stacked and pretty well deep right now. Yeah, so the names that obviously keep an eye out for on the pitching side is Bumgarner and uh, Zach Wheeler. Those are two names that I think yeah. are being linked to the Yankees right now. There could be some other cheaper options out there potentially for them, um, but it's a priority for them to get an arm, and I think it's, it's better to go the starter route. Um, you can always push some of these guys that you have starting right now into the bullpen from the playoffs. You know, you only really need three starters or so, uh, you know, come come October. So uh, an arm like Baumgartner would be great. I, I think it's going to be a lot to pay. Um, but if the opportunity for the Yankees is there for them to, to get him and to win the World Series with him potentially on your roster, then you have to make that move. And then if you get a bullpen, bullpen arm just to have another one just in case, there's always... You know, the potential, like you said, for injury or, or whatever it might be. 
been great. But if I'm the Yankees, I'm prioritizing you know the starting pitching. By the way, uh, while we while you were giving that answer, <laughs> driving down Route Nine in the medium. A car is being filled with gas like you see in NASCAR using an actual gas uh, uh, can. Thank you. I have not seen a car fueled up with an actual gas can in maybe 10 years. That was hilarious. Yeah, that's uh, a lot. And never a good sign when you need to be in a grass median of a highway getting gas. Um, <laughs> never a good sign. I don't know why I found this so funny. Um, I'm obviously punch drunk, uh, Danny. What can I say? Um, is, is there anything else you want to add on this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling? No, not really. I think, you know, I saw an Instagram post today with, like, uh, a, a caption that said 58 days till football. So, um, it's, it's coming, and I'm excited for that. So, you know, my... My time off here will just expedite that, so when I get back, training camps are in full swing, and uh, football will be taking over, so that, that's what I'm looking forward to. Week of, I think it's August 5th is the next week you'll be on this show. You you, you, you get uh, a month off from me. It'll be three weeks for the listeners, but a month off from me. Yeah, just one of those times in my calendar where everything just is uh, lumped together. Yes, seriously. Um, Thank you, Danny, for doing the third ever Bluetooth edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. All right, man. Have a good night. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Mom, for your uh, contributions. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.